We're going to talk about a treasure this morning. When we think of treasure, we think generally of things that we value. We think in terms of uh, silver and gold. We, we think in terms of precious stones, precious metal. Matter of fact, we, we think in terms of uh, things that we possess. If we have great treasure, that means generally that we have something that, that has a lot of value to it. And yet, we know, and it's not just what the Bible says, although that's most important to most of us. But we know that, that riches are not everything in a person's life. We know that. That doesn't mean that we behave that way, but we do know that. We do know that deep down that the, that the riches and the treasures of this life, what we have in this life, possessions, is not the most valuable thing in our lives. We should know that. And the Bible warns, Jesus does, and it's warning throughout the Old and New Testament that, there, that riches are deceitful. And so Jesus warned about this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, when he talked about planting seed on the ground where the the, uh, it was hard ground. The birds came and ate the seed before it could take root. And he talked about this as being the deceitfulness of riches. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he warned again, that is the apostle warned, and being inspired by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. He said, the love of money is a root of all evil. And earlier in that text, he says that uh, we brought nothing into this world, and it certainly will carry nothing out. Even some wag has said, even if you get a, an asbestos casket, you can't carry it with you. <laughs> Matthew 6 and verse 19, Jesus again warned. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt, or where thieves can break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he warned again in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the, the abundance of the things that he possesses. We know all that, don't we? That doesn't mean that we're not tempted by treasures. We, we know the subject matter, but I'll tell you what, treasure has a way of exciting us, of inspiring us. Obtaining treasure is exhilarating. Think about the gold rush in the 1850s to California, the gold rush of, of California, and think about the, the madness that overwhelmed individuals rushing to a place where they thought they could find treasure in the earth for the taking. The same thing took place in the 1890s in Alaska. Same thing took place in Australia and Africa and South America. Typically, gold rushes overwhelm a person with the idea of treasure and possessions. We, we can have something, have it quickly and have, have it, have it uh, abundantly. You may, have, you may have heard on the news not long ago of an individual who found a chess piece, a Viking chess piece, 
Anybody hear that story? Some did, some didn't. Well, you're not very well, not very well read, I guess. <laughs> the Viking chess piece from about the 10th to the 12th century of this era was discovered in a lady's chest drawers, in a drawer, and it was a simple Viking chess piece that was taken from what, what is known as the, the Lewis Chessmen set. Most of them were discovered earlier, and they, they were discovered on, on the island of Lewis. They're Nordic chess pieces. This little chess piece was probably, may have, it may have been the, the uh, kind of rook or even a bishop on a normal chessboard. Anyway, she found, she, she discovered it, and the story was that she, that her husband, who was an antique dealer, had obtained it for six dollars. Six bucks. She sold it at Sotheby's auction house for one point three million dollars. Wow. What a treasure. We all dream of things like that, I think, don't we? That we're going to run across something, you're going to stumble across something. In your backyard, you're going to be digging your flower bed and dig up an old tin can full of gold coins. Well, we dream about that sometimes. Sometimes not. There, there was a treasure trove that was discovered in 1922 by a man by the name of Howard, Howard Carter in the Valley of the Kings. You know, that, that's where they, they have established or or flooded that area with the Aswan Dam. Aswan Dam. Anyway, before it was flooded, there were the monuments of the kings and the tombs of the kings on both sides of this, or the bluffs of this area where they established a, a dam, a holding place for water. And uh, that, of course, that treasure became known as King Tut's treasure. Tut, King uh, Tutton Tutankhamun, I think. <laughs> Tut, King Tut. Okay, we'll say King Tut. I used to be able to say it. Anyway, that vast treasure was not was not a hidden treasure as such. It was a treasure trove because they used to bury their kings and nobles with all sorts of treasures to get them from this life to the next. And so they would surround them with with servants and food and clothing and, and jewels and gold and coins and so forth so they could make the trip comfortably from this life to the next. Well, that was a fabulous treasure. Now, the one I want to tell you about, however, was, uh, was not made of silver and gold and coins and, and jewelry and so forth. It was unearthed in 1946 and later again in 1956 in the Judean Valley of the Dead Sea, just north of the Dead Sea. There are bluffs on either side and cliffs on the sides of the Dead Sea at a, at a, at a distance. And uh, two Bedouin shepherds, young fellows, were tending their sheep in that area, and they were doing what most young fellows do when they get bored. They were throwing rocks. And they came across some caves, and they were throwing rocks into the caves. That's what I would do if I was a young fella. I'd throw rocks in the caves to see what would come out. I would see if there's anything in there that I could hit, maybe bats, maybe animals, whatever it might have been. They were throwing rocks into these caves. 
and they heard something that sounded like uh, pottery shattering. So they went up into the cave and they found these big pottery pots full of scrolls, parchment. They found the entire Old Testament that had been printed somewhere between the 1st and the 4th century before Christ. So they took some of the scrolls out and they took them home. And they took them to their parents as the kids would. Are these worth anything? And so the parents looked at them and they, they thought, well, they might be, but they weren't sure. So they hung them around in their, in their tents for a, a while. And finally, when they went back to their home area where they were, their, I guess their home base in Bethlehem, they took them to a sort of an antique dealer at that time, 1946, mind you. And the thing in the world was it still in the kind of uproar from the Second World War. And the, the Israelis were having their problems in their land in Judea. Anyway, they found an antique dealer, and he was sort of an antique dealer, but he was a, a shopkeeper. And he gave them $28 for the scroll. 28 bucks. These scrolls are without value. They're valueless. They're priceless. Wonderful scrolls. And I, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to put a price on them at all or not. But they discovered there, and then again in 1956, that was in 46, and then in 1956, they discovered 11 more caves containing more manuscripts, Hebrew manuscripts, that contained the entire Old Testament, with the exception of the book of Esther, along with some other manuscripts that of assorted ancient documents. Some are written in... Uh, in Greek, and some are written in Assyrian, but the majority of them are Hebrew texts of the Old Testament. And they were dated between the, uh, the, the time when they were deposited there, between 50 and 100 A.D. during the Jewish wars with Rome. Rome had come into the area of Judea and was suppressing the, the Jews, and they were chasing the Jews, and finally they got into a final struggle. And, uh, and, and destroyed the Jewish nation at that point. Anyway, that was there during that time. Now, treasures are essentially valuable to us. I want you to lock in on this particular treasure, though, to start with. Let's talk about the map that would lead to the treasure. You've heard of a treasure map. Now, I don't want to burst anybody's fantasy bubble about treasure maps. But they're a myth, generally. Pirates, treasure, maps are myths. They just don't exist. I don't know that anybody's ever discovered one. There was one, one uh, map that, that uh, someone discovered during the colonial time of this nation, during the British-American wars, because there was a, there was a uh, sort of a pirate fellow that hid some money on the island of New York because he knew he was going to be taken back to Great Britain or to England to stand trial for some of his pirating activities. But he hid it, hid his treasure there because he knew he'd have to come back and get it and pay the bounty for his deeds, which he did. He came back and dug the money up that he had put down. He knew where it was. He didn't put, a, he didn't have a map that he shared with other people. He just came back and got the money and paid off his debts to the British government. Now, 
In the Qumran caves that we're talking about, however, and I, I just want to make this point again, X does not necessarily mark the spot of the treasure. So for us to think that there's a treasure map somewhere, that the pirates buried their treasure and going to come back and get them at a later time, probably never happened. But in these Qumran caves that we're talking about, where we have the, the manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a map, and it was called the Copper Scroll. And that map detailed 67 burial sites in the Judean area, where when they were fleeing from Jerusalem and fleeing out into the desert away from the Romans, they were digging up and planting and burying treasure from the temple so that it wouldn't fall in the hands of the Romans. Now, the upshot of that is, by this time, when they went back, and they were detailed, when they went back to get the treasures, they weren't there. Somebody already got them. But the treasure was in the scrolls. That's where the map was. That map in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, that map marked the spot. And that spot was Bethlehem of Judea, where Jesus Christ was born. That was a treasure map. The Old Testament is our treasure map. And you know the treasure that it's pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus of Nazareth. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the greatest treasure that man has ever found. He was, it was determined that he would be found. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27, it says, Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the secret revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Paul said that we have this treasure now, and the treasure is Jesus. He's the true treasure of humanity, and He's the Son of God that was offered to us. Now, I don't have a chart for you this morning, but if I had a chart, I would give you five things that are a treasure that, that is involved with Jesus. Now, I want, want to try to make this very plain to you. I'm not telling you that these things are our treasure, because they are, but I'm telling you that Jesus is our treasure because He inhabits, inhibits, and inhabits these treasures. For instance, He's the, he's the greatest treasure to all of us, and I'll, I'll name the five, five things that we're going to talk about, and, I, and as I've named them, you'll say, well, sure, these are my treasures right now. But I'm trying to be, I want to try to be plain in this. I'm not talking about these as our treasures. I'm talking about Jesus as the treasure in relation to these items, to these things. Now, the greatest treasure in our life, probably, without Jesus, is our family. The next is our children. Our, our own family that we came from. Then our children. Then our friends then our mates, and then our protectors. So these are, these are our treasures, basically. But when I, I want to talk to you about the fact that in this relationship, Jesus is the treasure. 
The family's not the treasure as such. Jesus is the treasure that affects our family. Colossians 2 at verse 2 through 3 says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him are hid, that is in Jesus, are hid all these treasures. Let's, let's look at this in terms of, of our family. Look at Jesus in terms of our family. Of all the relationships on earth, the family is perhaps the most necessary. The most necessary. There's a, there's a great upshot, an up, upsurge of interest in the family right now, isn't there? It's been going on for a while. People have wanted to look back through their family tree and their history and find out where they came from. And now then, there's, there's a great interest in, in our DNA. You know, who we came from, what, who are our ancestors, what, what are we made up of, or what are we, compo- what are we com- composed of. So we're concerned about the family. The family is where we obtain a sense of belonging. We do. Now you can cite to me someone who says, I'm going to be a solitary soul. I don't care about family. I don't care whether I'm connected or not. It doesn't make any difference whether I know my parents or don't know my parents or whether I have any children or don't have any children. It doesn't make any difference. So once in a while you run across a loner like that. But he's, he's the exception. He's not the rule. The rule is our family is necessary for our survival. We recognize that there's a universal desire for a connectivity in the search for ancestry roles and DNA indication of who we are. The family is where we, where we obtain our greatest sense of belonging. It's the, the, the loss of the family is probably, when we lose the family, is probably disastrous. Now, I'm not talking about when we lose someone through death. I'm talking about when we lose our connection to our family. When we lose that connection. When we lose connection to our family, we, we uh, lose our moorings in this life. We, we, uh, we become alienated from others. And alienation comes through in the family. And I want you to think about it as, as I think about it. Sometimes we alienate ourselves from our family through pettiness. We say things we shouldn't say. And for some reason in the family, it ne- you never get over it. It's, it's, never, it's never corrected. Through quarrels, and sometimes we even forget what we fussed about. And through a betrayal of trust, we say things out of school that we shouldn't say. And we betray somebody's trust because they told us something in the family, and we pass that on. Insults and oversensitivity. Now, the the sadness of this is that most of the time, when there's a rift in the family, it's permanent. And the damages are, are irreparable. You never get over it. People die in that condition, separated from their family. That can happen. Now, let's talk about Jesus in family. Jesus said, he told us, that we might be able to lose our family. 
And, and the way we'd lose our family is if we love father and mother more than him, he said. If we love father and mother more than me, he said. He's not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The relationship we have with Jesus Christ is more important than the relationship we have with our mom and pop. Now that's hard to comprehend, isn't it? That's hard to imagine. But that is what he said. And he said it's more valuable. And the reason is Jesus is more of a treasure to us than our immediate family. So I'm, I, what I was, was saying to you before was our family is, is integral to our existence. We need family. But Jesus said, sometimes you lose family because of me. But I'm worth more than your family. Now that's hard to comprehend. And as you think about it and as you work through it, you have to understand that he must be a a greater treasure. He stands beside us and is more important to us than our blood family, our blood relatives. He, he said, if you, if you lose your family, however, I've got another one for you. You can have my family, he says. That's what he said. Matthew nineteen twenty nine. the apostle Peter and the other apostles were concerned that they were going to lose their family and lose their possessions. He said, everyone that has forsaken his house or brothers or sisters or his father or mother or his wife or children or lands... For my sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You know what what happened? Jesus is such a treasure that when he came to this earth, he said, he said, I'll take you into my family. You can become part of my family. There's a magnitude in that. I don't know that there's anybody in this audience. Oh, there may be. And if so, it's a wonderful situation where someone steps up and says, hey, Come into my family. Come be part of my family. And I'll tell you what, that is a broad, broad, wide invitation. And it's magnificent. Come into my family. It happens sometimes when children are adopted. Come into my family. Be part of my family. Take my name. Take my identity Come and be part of me and my family and we'll accept you. We'll accept you. That's what Jesus said. He said, for this cause, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul said, this cause I bow my knees unto the Father our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So, that's the treasure. Jesus said, hey, you lose your family I'll take you in. Don't worry about it. When we become part of his family, we become fellow children. Uh, I'm not sure that we'd ever do that for someone else, someone we didn't know. Brother or sister. Now, Jesus is the treasure. In my family, when we're talking about family treasure, I'm talking about I love my family. I love my parents. I love my grandparents. I love my children. I love my aunts and uncles, some of them, and some of my cousins. (laughs) I try to love them all. Sometimes we don't get along because families don't always get along. But Jesus said, you'll get along with my family. I'll trick you into mine. We become children of God. That's the second treasure. He is a treasure to me because He is my brother. 
He's my brother. I don't know that we would do the same thing for someone we didn't know. A stranger, an alien. He's saying, come be my brother. Be my sister. Be my brother. Be my sister. That's wonderful. In Galatians 3, verse 26 and 27, says, You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're all the children of God. Jesus is the one that makes that possible for me to be a child of God, to be adopted into His family and become His brother. Now, in becoming His brother, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to, I'm going to take His name. He's going to give me his name because we'll share the same family name. Sometimes, let me just share something with you real quickly. Sometimes when, when somebody adopts a child, they, 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 uh, they don't do the most important thing that should be done. They don't give that child their name. They don't give them their name. Now, I was adopted and I didn't get the name. And that plagued me or troubled me all of my life and still does. I didn't get the name. I don't know why. Now, now, sometimes this happens. But I should have had the name because I should have been in that family. But I, I was in the, I'm in my own family, of course. And I, our children, my children, carry my name. But God, when He brought us into His family, when Jesus brought us into His family, He said, You're my brother. I'm going to give you my name. You know, now what that involves is, when I give you my name, I'm going to give you my rights of inheritance. You're going to share what I have. Isn't that something? Now think about that. If your parents are wealthy, and they're going to give you a great inheritance at the end of their life, are you going to go out and say, hey, I'm going to bring somebody else in and share that with them. I'll give them, I'll, they'll be my brother, be my sister, and I'll share my inheritance with them. Sounds well and good until you start dividing it up at the end. Then people say, wait a minute, let's take a look at the will and make sure that everybody gets the same, same thing they should. And I don't think the adopted one ought to get the same share as the one who's natural born. But Jesus said, come with me, you can have what I have. You can have my share too. The second thing in this relationship, not the second or the third, is that he is a treasure because he's a friend. Jesus has befriended us. Now that's a treasure. I want to tell you how much of a treasure that is. I think everybody in this room and in the sound of my voice, with the exception of myself and Bob King, or on Facebook. We're not on Facebook. Well, if you're on Facebook, I understand. You have, you have this, this uh, business of, if somebody else wants to be in your range or, or in your area of, of, of activities, you have to friend them. You have to friend them. You know what Jesus did? He friended you, Craig. He friended you. He said, come on, you can be my friend. Being a friend is, is a great thing. It's wildly popular 
Facebook is so popular. You want to know how popular it is, how, how important it is for people to have friends? This thing has got millions and millions and millions and millions of users all over the world. People want a friend. We want a friend. And it's an insult if we say, friend me, and they say, no, I'm going to unfriend you. <laughs> Jesus is not going to unfriend you, by the way. He's going to friend you. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. He'll get you in trouble. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know who that is? Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother than a brother. And I'm going to tell you something else that you may not know. The, the general consensus of opinion of those who know, things, know these things say that in all likelihood, in your whole lifetime, if you live to be 100 years old, you'll probably only have one real, true friend. Only one. Isn't that amazing? You know which one I want? Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Him to friend me and be my friend. The next thing, the treasure of Jesus, is that He's our soulmate. You know people look all over this world for their soulmate. Husband and wives, boys and girls, men and women are looking for someone that they can connect with heart to heart. Want to connect. Jesus connects with us to our heart. Jesus is our soulmate. He's the one. You say, well, isn't that husband-wife relationship, isn't that the closest one? Isn't that the best one on this earth? Well, it probably is. But basically, Jesus is more of a soulmate than your, your marriage partner. You know Why? He'll listen to your gripes and complaints and he'll never be discouraged or upset or rebuke you for it. And you can tell him things you won't tell anybody else. I mean, you won't tell anybody else. You can talk to Jesus about that. Jesus will hear you and he will understand you and he will stand by you and he will help you. He is your soulmate. Ephesians chapter 5 describes the husband and wife relationship and it says, Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might present it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or image or any, uh, not having spot or blemish or any such thing. So it, it relates to Jesus as sort of like our husband or wife. We share our secrets, we tell him things that we will tell nobody else. He'll understand us. We won't have to explain or justify our weakness. He already knows about it. And He loves us without reservation. And we'll never, never be separate from Him because we can't stand up to the pressure of this life. He will help us get through. He'll never, He'll never forsake us. And He's our protector. That's the fifth thing. As a treasure. He's our protector. These are things I want. These are things. That, these are treasures that, that are beyond silver and gold. We know that. We know that there are treasures that are, that are worth more. Jesus is, is uh, our protector. He's our Savior. He came to this earth to save us from our sins. 
And he came to stand by me when I'm in, in the dire straits. He came to give me strength when nobody else can help me. He came to give me comfort when I can't be comforted by anybody else. He came to give me peace when all I have in this life is turmoil and I can get it through Him and from Him. Because He's my protector. He's my Savior. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nobody can separate you from Jesus Christ. He's a protector. And when I say that, I say that He stands with us in life when we need Him the most. And He stands with us in death when we can't do without Him. He's there for us. Jesus has always been the treasure in heaven. He's always been that. And when God sent Him to this earth, He sent Him to be our treasure. He is our treasure. God help you to let Jesus into your life, into your family, as your brother or sister, as your brother in Christ, as your friend, as your protector, and as your soulmate. Let Jesus in your life. Let's stand and sing the song of meditation.